0: Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Well, this morning, I'll tell you what, I had a little bit of a of frustration. Um, normally, I, I write my notes on my computer, and then they they sync to the internet, to the cloud. Somewhere up there, there's a cloud. And uh, I, I use my iPad when I preach, and, and it was not working today, so that's why I have a laptop here, and why I was mostly frustrated during our worship time this morning. But I didn't cuss, so hey, that's a win, right? <laughs> but this morning, I'm so excited to preach this message. Uh, this is, we're going to be talking about something that, that you probably heard before that you maybe even have memorized, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this, is, this is really Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. So if Jesus taught his disciples this is how you pray, that should probably indicate to us that this is a pretty important passage of scripture, right? Uh, and and as, we, as we go through this today, I want us to understand that he's not just giving them a prayer to recite, which is sometimes what the Lord's Prayer has become, Uh, In church, it's not just like, all right, here's, you know, we say this little prayer and it's nice. No, these, there are principles in this prayer that Jesus is teaching to his disciples. He's not teaching them to pray this prayer. He's like, when you pray, this is how you pray. So there's a model that's given to us in this passage of scripture that we should use in our prayer life. All right? So this is something, this is like fundamental Christianity. Every believer needs to understand these principles. And and it's not complicated. They're very simple. They're very straightforward. But it it forces us to actually pay attention and learn what Jesus has to say. So as you're going through this and as we're reading through this, these points that I'm about to pull out, uh, I think I have six or seven of them up there. Um, You're going to you would be able to do this too, all right? It's plain to see as we we read through it this morning. And uh, this morning, I'm going to do something that I never do. Uh, We're going to use the King James, and uh, we're going to do that just for the first four verses here. And the reason is because many of you have memorized this passage of Scripture, and you probably memorized it in the King James. And so I want that familiar language this morning as we go through it together. Uh, So, we're going to jump right into the the passage of Scripture this morning in Luke chapter 11. And uh, we're going to start at verse 1. And it says, Now Jesus was praying, or sorry, and it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Alright, so understand what's going on here. Jesus is praying, and his disciples see him praying. Okay? I want, you to, I want you to understand that. There are people that are watching you, whether you know it or not. Alright? Are you teaching your kids that prayer is important to you? You know how you do that? Not by giving them a Bible lesson on Luke chapter 11. It's by demonstrating it through prayer. They're watching you to see if you pray. And if it's important to you, your coworkers are watching you. So when you eat your lunch and you sit down and you pray before your meal, it's not just to say thank you. And it's not just to say a blessing over your food, Uh, even if you have a hot pocket that needs some blessing, right? People are watching you and they're watching to see what you do. Your friends are watching you. Your family is watching you. His, Jesus' disciples were watching him, and they saw him praying. And then they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So they knew that John the Baptist, the people that were following him, that, that he taught them. And so they're saying, we want that to teach us how to pray. And so he said to them, all right, when you pray, Or King James, when ye pray, right? Pray, yeah, say, and and I want you to say this with me this morning. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is... As in heaven, so in earth. That threw me off, all right? That's King James. That's, That's the real one there, all right? Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, so I guess we don't memorize the King James. I don't even know what version that is. All right. Anyway, I, I just assumed it was, okay? Because there's thighs and these in there, all right? Um, so, and then the, the next verse, which I didn't put on there yet, um, but it's, we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm, I'm reserving that one uh, for the end here. All right, um, just a few thoughts, a few things that I want to notice before we actually get into the principles of, of praying through this, this passage of Scripture. Um, First of all, I just noticed this this week as I was studying this for the very first time. Um, When Jesus is teaching them how to pray, he uses some verbiage that, that is really interesting. In fact, everything is plural. Have you noticed that before? He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Now, you might just be thinking, well, yeah, it was the disciples asking Jesus to teach us how to pray. And so he's saying, okay, when you all pray, right, or if we're in the South, when y'all pray, right, Uh, that's, um, this is how we do it. But I, I think there's actually a reason that he's using plurality here. Because when, when he teaches them in, a, in another passage of Scripture how to pray, he says, when you go pray, you shut the door and pray to your Father in heavens. And, and he makes it a very personal thing, and he makes it a very individual thing. But he's, he's emphasizing these plural verbs in order to show us that prayer is something that ought to be done corporately as well. That we we need to pray together. We are a family. The people that are sitting around you are not just the people that are attending church with you, they're part of the family of God. And so when we come and and gather together, prayer is something that should be done together as well. Tonight, we're going to gather together and we're going to pray together. And this is one of the most important things that we do as a church. And I'll tell you, if you want to deepen your relationships with people in the church and have friendships that will last, spend time praying together. It will build a bond, a relationship that's deeper than just the surface level stuff that when we talk about the weather or the Vikings or whatever meaningless nonsense that we bring up during the week, right? Right. This is this is something that's so critically important. We are meant to pray together, and prayer is a family affair, okay? So um, as we get into the text this morning, I'm going to pull out a few principles um, this morning. And the first one, it comes from that f- first phrase, our Father. Our Father. I want you to understand something this morning. God is your Father if your faith is in Him. Now, um, I want to talk about two fathers this morning, and and you might be thinking, well, yeah, okay, I have my earthly father and my heavenly father. That's not what I'm talking about. These are both spiritual fathers this morning. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, two daddies. <laughs> All right? this Everyone in this room has two daddies, and I'm not talking about your earthly father. Uh, you have your earthly father and your spiritual father, but there are also two spiritual fathers as well. See, we were born with one father and we were reborn into another. Jesus actually reinforced this idea. In fact, some Pharisees once said, well, Abraham is our father, referring to their lineage, referring to their human ancestry. But Jesus said, nope, I'm sorry, your father is the devil. Now, that conversation probably didn't go real well. They probably didn't appreciate him telling them that. Um, But the truth is that every single one of us in this room has a spiritual father. It's either God in heaven or the devil. Right? When we're born, we're born into a sinful nature. We're born in our humanity, broken, corrupt, sinful. We know that because you don't have to teach kids how to sin. They figure it out all on their own, right? Uh, You have to try to teach, retrain those habits. So we're born with this sinful nature. We're born into a spiritual lineage that leads to death. But then when we place our faith in Christ, we're reborn. We have a new father. We're adopted into God's family, We're brought into his family, and now we have his lineage and his inheritance. And this is maybe just a side note this morning, but because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, and because of the brokenness in our earthly families, some of us have a very distorted view of God as our father. Because our Father didn't necessarily relate to us in a way that represented how God sees you, now our view of God is distorted as well. And we need to be very careful that that we have a proper understanding of our Father God, our loving Father that that cares about us. In fact, um, some people think of, of God this way. They think of the father as the mean one who judges, right? I think of Jesus as the nice one who forgives, and the Holy Spirit as the weird one, right? Now, I, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is weird. I think people are weird, and the, the Holy Spirit fills weird people, okay? Um, but uh, the truth of the matter is that that God is one, right? So, there, it's not like they're three different personalities and, and the father is the judgmental one and Jesus is the nice one. In fact, Jesus wasn't always so nice, right? I just told you, he told the Pharisees that their father was the devil, all right? That's not a very nice thing to say. And, and our father is a loving father. I want you to understand that. I want you to, to believe that, that, that you are his son or daughter, that he loves you. And if you, if you come at that, at prayer from that perspective, knowing your position with him, knowing how you relate to him, knowing that he is your father and he loves you, it changes the way you pray. Okay, so before we can even get into what we pray, we have to understand who we're praying to. And we have to understand our position in relationship to God. And if we understand that, we can pray effectively. All right, second thing is this. Begin with worship. Begin with worship. Now, um, it's not just that we're recognizing that God is our Father and that He loves us. Right? We have that relationship. and relationship is so important and it's a big deal. But we're also declaring the holiness... Of God, right this is what worship is. Uh, he says, "Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is just uh, a fancy word for holy right he's he's saying that, that god's name is holy that he's to be revered that that he's not just our father he's the king too now um, I don't know if you follow uh, the royal family in England or not i I don't really care. Um, personally. uh, If if Harry and Meghan want to move to the United States, good for them. Um, But uh, that being said, the little that I've observed from the royal family is that they interact a little bit differently with the queen than you would with your mom or your grandma, right? There's there's a level of formality there, at least in public there is, right? Um, So it's like, you, you just see a little bit different, uh, level of respect and honor given because of her position. Now, if that honor is given by the children and the grandchildren of the queen, then how much more should we give that honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? He's our father, but he's also the King. He's the creator of, of everything. He's worthy of praise. His name is holy. So we should honor him. That's why um, I believe that your worship in a public setting should look different than it does in a private quiet setting. Just like um, that informality exists in person one-on-one where you can have kind of more of an intimate connection and relationship with a person in the same way we can relate with God in that way as we have our time with him. But when we're in a public setting and we're worshiping with other people, there are certain formalities that we do. We, we ask you to stand when we sing and when we worship the Lord in that way. And we do that to honor God for who he is. He's worthy of our praise. And so we're showing respect and honor to his name by standing and by lifting our voice. Um, so there's there's both that intimate, close relationship And that awe and reverence. It's not one or the other. And I think, frankly, uh, we all have a tendency to lean one way or the other. We either relate to God in in a super relational way or we relate to him in a very reverent way. But the truth is that he's both. So we should relate to him in both ways. We should have that reverence and that awe. But we should also have that intimacy and that closeness as a father. Um... So recognize God as our father, worship him. Third thing is pray God's will, pray God's will. Well, in order to pray God's will, the logical conclusion is you have to know what God's will is. So the question would be, well, how do I do that? That's why this is so important. If you want to know the will of God, listen, God can speak to you personally, and he can give you truth that way too, but let me tell you, use this as your foundation for knowing what God's will is. If you feel like God is telling you something and it, and it contradicts what's in here, it ain't God, okay? So this is our foundation. This is the truth. We have to know his word to know his will one of the most important skills that you can learn is how to pray the scriptures, right? It's how to pray the words that are in this book. So if you believe that that's true, that God's word is truth, and you want to pray God's will, then you can open up your Bible to 2 Peter 3, 9, and you can read that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, As some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so if we know that that's the will of God, it's written in scripture, then we can say, God, I thank you for your patience with me. I thank you how you've demonstrated that to me. And now, God, I'm claiming that patience for my friend who doesn't know you yet, that he too would come to faith. And I know you want him to repent even more than I do. So soften his heart and do it fast because you said you weren't slow. Right? Uh, now, um, that's, we can pray that because it's written in Scripture. So you, you pray the Scriptures. You begin to pray his will. That, that's like Jesus was saying, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. You know, tonight we're going to gather together and we're going to pray for the all white people in Lebanon. Why? Because God loves them. Because God cares about them. And if God loves them and God cares about them, we should too. And can I tell you something? This is going to be a little bit bold and a little bit harsh here. If we don't even, if we're not even willing to spend some time praying for people, do we really care about them and love them the way that God does? Can I push a little bit this morning? Like, this is something that actually needs to be happening. This is something that is part of every believer's life. Right? It needs to be incorporated in our prayer life. And we're praying for the will of God to be done. We're praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Uh, I don't have time to get into what that means this morning, but we're literally praying the kingdom of heaven down to the kingdom of earth. We're bringing a piece of heaven down to the, this earth that we live in. Another day we'll go there, okay? All right, so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The the fourth thing is pray for needs. Pray for needs. Now, um, when we understand our position with God, this is not a big deal. Can I tell you something this morning? My two-year-old does not struggle with how to ask me for breakfast in the morning. Uh, she's just like, Dad, breakfast, because <laughs> she knows that I want to feed her. Right now, we're working on teaching her how to ask politely, and if you know Ella, you know that's a process, okay. And you can pray for me too, okay. But, but like, she doesn't. She doesn't worry. That I'm gonna be upset with her for asking for breakfast in the morning. She just knows that's part of my responsibility as a father. And your heavenly father knows that his responsibility is to care for you. He didn't forget about you. In fact, the Bible tells us that he cares about so many different things on this earth, even how the flowers of the field look like and little birds. Not one of them, the Bible says, not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly father knowing it. How much more does he care for his kids? So you don't have to worry about praying for the things that you need. You don't have to be um, timid about asking for the things that you need. God loves you. He's your father. And he knows his responsibility is to care for you. And so not only can you pray, you can pray with confidence knowing that it's true. You don't have to be ashamed to ask God for things, especially when they are promises in his word. Now, that does not mean that God will give you everything that you want. All right, Lord, I want a new car and $15 million. Can I tell you something? If you could handle $15 million, you'd probably have it already. Okay, God not only knows what you need, he knows what's best for you. This week I was reading an article and I, I posted it on Facebook as well about um, children and, and um, technology and how um, how many kids have smartphones today and with a smartphone access to the entire internet and the danger of that and and, and the issues that it's causing. Um, and you know, we have this conversation, um, my oldest daughter's nine, almost 10 years old. And, and she's already like, dad, all my friends have cell phones. And I'm sitting there thinking like not in a million years. Okay. Maybe in a million years, but <laughs> like not for a few more years, right? Because you don't know how to handle that yet. And, and I'm making that decision. And it would be really easy to just say, okay, fine. Give in. Uh, I mean, it's not, not even that much money anymore, right? Like its You can add a line for whatever it is. Uh, the, the cell phone companies even want you to do this, right? They're incentivizing you to set them up for this, this habit. But I know that that's not best for her. And so I'm willing to say no in that instance. In the same way, your Heavenly Father knows what's good for you. And so you can ask... But then you got to trust him enough to say, okay, God, if you say no, I'm okay with that because I know you know what's best for me. Now, that's easier in theory than it is in practice, right? Because we want what we want, and we want it now. Okay? So we have to trust that God loves us enough, that he's a good father, that he knows us even better than we know ourselves. Every father... Um, th- there are certain things that are, are true about God that, that we don't have to wonder if he wants for us. I mean, every father wants their kid to be healthy, right? So we can pray for health. We can pray um, for uh, spiritual wisdom. That's something that, that God tells us to ask for and to pray for, to ask that God would give us wisdom. Um, there, there are things in scripture that, that we don't have to wonder, that we don't have to worry about, right? Right? We just pray with confidence, knowing that God loves us. Uh, Fifth thing is ask for forgiveness. Um, Jesus said it this way Forgive our sins as we forgive those who forgive or who have sinned against us. Now, in my family, um, when our kids do something wrong, we make them apologize. Uh, we we actually had a moment this week in the car, where everybody was forced to apologize, and it was it was painful. And uh, um, and, and we have kind of a, a rule: we don't let them get away with just saying sorry, right? Your kids ever said that to you before? Like I know I have to apologize so that we can move on, but I'm not really sorry. <laughs> And the way that I respond to that is, oh, what what are you sorry for? Because if they can't answer that, they aren't really sorry, right? Um, can I tell you a secret, and you can't tell my kids yet? Okay. Teaching them to ask for forgiveness is not for our benefit. In fact, whether or not we forgive them has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they say that they're sorry. Most of the time, we've forgiven them well before they've ever asked for it. And we're human. Okay, think about that for a second now and how that relates to our relationship with God. When you sin and you ask for forgiveness, whose benefit is it for? Is it because God needs your apology to love you? Is it because his love is broken for you and, and it can only be fixed by something that you do? Is that the message of the grace or gospel at all? No, it's not about what we've done. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done for us. He's already paid the price for our sin. He's already forgiven us. If we've received that forgiveness, then it's ours, period. Period. Okay? So understanding our position means that when we apologize, when we ask for forgiveness of sins, it's given freely. Just like when when my kids come to me, it, it doesn't matter what they've done. We just want them to show a repentant heart because we know that that will make them better humans. That will make, develop their character and it'll improve the relationship that we have because it'll, it'll, Help them uh, have a softer heart in that way. They can ask for forgiveness knowing in advance that it will be granted. But that's not the end of this phrase. He says, forgive us as we forgive those who sinned against us. Now, that's just mean, Jesus. Right? Because now, not only are we asking for forgiveness but we're asking for it in relation to the way that we forgive others. That can be a tough place to be in if you have unforgiveness in your heart. That can be a challenging way to pray. So, really, he shows us the motive here. It's not that our relationship with God is broken. It's that we're broken. And that repentant heart allows us to heal in our own heart and with our relationships with others as well. Okay? Ask for forgiveness. Then the next thing is spiritual protection. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we already know from uh, what we've read in the scripture in the past that God does not tempt us God doesn't tempt anyone, so we don't have to say, "Okay, God, uh, if, if we don't pray that it, you won't tempt us today, then um, then uh, we're going to be tempted." So uh, we need to make sure we check that that box off. Now, God's not going to tempt you, okay? Understand that that's a that's a biblical principle. So, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about spiritual protection. He's saying. When we experience temptation, help us to overcome that temptation. We know that that's God's will for us, that he doesn't want us to fall into sin. So um, we can pray that with confidence, that um, we need God's help when we face temptation, that he would help us resist that temptation, that he would deliver us from evil. Can I tell you something this morning? The spiritual realm is real. It's real. We are doing battle on a regular basis. And if you don't even know you're in a battle, you're clueless and you got the headphones on while people are fighting around you, you're in danger. Right? We are called to be aware that there is a spiritual battle that's going on and prayer is important and significant in fighting that battle. So you need to put your armor on. You need to say, God... I'm going to be facing a lot of things today. There are going to be situations and people and circumstances that are going to cause me to want to do my own thing, to, to resort to my sinful nature. But I know that you're with me, and that your Holy Spirit lives inside of me, so protect me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Right? This is a real battle that's going on. And then the last one is come back to worship. Worship again. We're going to ask the worship team to come up and and we're going to sing that song that we we closed with today. Uh, That's right out of this scripture passage. But look what what Jesus does. And I want to read this verse out loud for you. Um, Lead us not into temptation. And then in, in the book of Matthew... That's probably why it's all messed up, right? We're reading the King James, and we all know the Matthew version, This is the Luke version, but he finishes with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It brings us back to that place again. Now, we could end there. We could sing this song. That would be really cool. But I want us to understand something. Jesus doesn't stop teaching when he shows them this prayer. He keeps going. And we'll read a normal translation here for the rest of this. Uh, Luke eleven five 5 through 13, it says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, okay? Just picture this for a moment, all right? Middle of the night, you're like, I got a friend that's coming into town, I got no food at my house, the grocery store is closed, they don't have Colburn's, it's open 24 hours. You go knock on your neighbor's door. My friend is coming over, give me some bread. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in my bed. See, uh, co-sleeping is in the Bible. There you go. (laughs) I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Right? The friendship isn't enough. He's not getting out of bed because he's a friend. He's not a good enough friend at least. Yet because of his impudence... And I'm like, what is impudence? I actually had to look up the word because that's not a word that we use in common language. Here's one definition I found for an impudent person bold, sassy, and shameless. Because of his impudence, he'll get up and give him the bread, he'll give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg... Will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, I, I want us to understand this here, I and mean, we really get this, because this is so important. Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of how we should pray. Going to this guy's house, this neighbor's house, in the middle of the night, knocking on the door, saying, hey, open the door. Nobody answers. You go up to the bedroom window. Hey! I need some bread can't you see I'm sleeping here I got the kids in the bed if I get out of bed I'm gonna wake them up and then nobody's gonna sleep the rest of the night go away but because of his obnoxious persistence his shamelessness he will get out of bed now we already know God is our father God is our friend We have that relationship with him. But what Jesus is doing in this passage of scripture is he's saying you have permission to be obnoxious with God. And so if you're believing for something and praying for something, maybe it's a a health issue that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a friend that doesn't know Christ. There's a principle right here in this passage of scripture that's saying don't give up keep praying. Be obnoxious with your prayer. Persist. Keep asking. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Listen, church, we give up way too easily in this culture, right? When it doesn't happen the way that we think it should, when it doesn't fall into place the way that we expect it does, we just give up. But here Jesus is giving us a lesson in prayer. He's saying, listen, keep going, keep moving, keep walking forward. And because of your obnoxiousness, I'll grant your request. Ask, seek, you'll find. Because if you being a, normal human father know how to give good gifts to your kids how much more does God want to bless you we can be obnoxious because he loves it he loves to hear your voice he loves to spend time with you so let's not pass on that opportunity we have things like tonight when we gather together for unite prayer I want you to come. And we set it up so that we have child care available for the little ones because we want you to come and bring your families. And your older kids come in and pray with you and they can witness you praying just like Jesus' disciples saw him praying. They can see that that matters to you, that it's important to you. So we can pray together as Jesus instructed us to do to pray his will, to pray for needs, to believe that our relationship with God gives us the permission to ask.